Welcome to the 1717 Podcast, a ministry of Roseville Baptist Church with Pastor Jackie Hill. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only truth and untruth. And Pastor Derek Ambrose. We have to stop searching for truth in our culture when God's already given us the answer. Jackie and Derek answer important questions with the truth of God's Word. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Here's your host, Derek Ambrosen. Hello, everyone, and welcome into episode 42 of the 1717 Podcast. I'm Pastor Derek Ambrosen, and I'm joined by Pastor Jackie Hill. Jackie, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Glad to be on this episode of the show with your brother, and we're talking about one of my all-time favorite subjects. Yeah, this is this is a topic that had been asked about in the past, and actually one of uh, my youth students, Connor, just recently asked about this as well, and I think this was on our uh, list of, or on our hopper of questions for a while anyway, so figured, hey, we had it already, had another youth student ask the question, so uh, let's go ahead and talk about that. So thank you, Connor, for the question, but that uh, episode, or that question for today's episode, that is, is this. Is the creation account literal or figurative? Which is one that's uh, gained mm-hmm. a little bit more traction recently, and we're we're just going to walk through what Scripture has to say about creation and uh, start right away in Genesis one and two. That are really the the main text as we go about this, where all the debate starts. So, Jackie, uh, walk us through Genesis one and uh, lead us up to Genesis two. Set the stage. Sure. Yeah. So as you, you get into the creation account, it starts off in the beginning. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and um, this is more of just a summary, if you will, or a prequel of, to, of all the details of the days in which God created everything that we know in our universe, in our world. And so it starts off in day one, we see that there was light. Um, God created light first, uh, and, and he made separated the light from the darkness, called it night and day. You continue through the narrative of Genesis 1, day 2. It says that uh, God separated the waters from the waters. That's where we get the sky or the atmosphere. So you have the water on the face of the earth, the water above the earth. Uh, the new, uh, the King James would call it firmament. Yeah, um, so yeah, the that, expanse. That, yeah, the expanse. Yep. And on day three in Genesis one, we see that God created the dry land, and so that that separated out or came up out of the water. Or the water separated from the land, and we have dry land. Interesting. Day four is when we have the creation of the sun, moon, stars, rest of the planets, galaxy. So, you know, the whole host of heaven, but you had light before that. And a lot of people get hung up on this. Like, well, how could you have a light and there not be the sun, mm-hmm. you know, or some people say, well, if it's, if it's a literal count, it has to take much longer than six days because speed of light and how far away the sun is and how long would it take for the light to get to the earth. And, and all those things. But day one says God's when God created light. And in day four, that's when you have the sun. So you didn't have to wait for the light to get here. The light was here before the sun was created. And the source of that light is God himself. You even see that in like Revelation, right? So in in Revelation, it says we won't need the sun any longer because Jesus himself is is our light. Yeah, the light of the world. He was there in John 1, there at the beginning. It's not just figurative, right? Um, Jesus truly is our light. And and then, then picking back up, uh, day five, we see the creation of all living water creatures and the birds. 
So I, I think that's interesting too, because day two, you got the separation of waters from waters. So you got the waters below, waters above. And then when God starts creating living creatures in day five, it's the ones that fill both those spaces uh, that he that he created in day two. Yep. And then in day six, you have God creating the living creatures that fill the place that he created on day three, which is the land. And it's all living animals. And then lastly, the uh, apex or the climax, if you will, of, of creation, human beings. And God created Adam and Eve on day six. So we have a six-day creation. And then day seven, uh, God rested. That's uh, chapter two, um, verses one through three. And it's a pattern for us. I mean, mm-hmm. God could have created everything in a nanosecond. Yep. Uh, he, he could have done it any amount of time he wanted to. He's God. But this same seven-day week that we see laid out in Genesis 1 is, well, and through the first part of verse 2, or chapter 2, is the pattern for us to live by, that we still live by today. We have seven days in our week. And that's where, that's where it comes from. Yep. It's almost like God is logical and uh, made things in a certain way that still apply to us today that um, everybody revolves around a seven day week. Right. And so where people hang up a lot of times, they say, well, but if Genesis is a literal creation account, why are there two creation accounts? Right. Mm-hmm. Because there's chapter one's a creation account. And then chapter two is also a creation account. And they don't line up. And so Derek, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So you see starting Genesis two, four through nine, um, before I read it, just want to make this clear for context as we're reading this, that this is not a second creation account. That's right. But rather a detailed explanation of all the events that took place on day six. On, on day six. Yeah, yeah. And what happened. And and just a side note, you see this as I've been teaching through revelation to the youth students. And when you read through revelation, not all of it's chronological either. There are times where there's something that happens. And then there is a description in a later chapter about that event that happens. But if you read it as, Oh, this has to be chronological. You can get kind of, um, it, it's already easy enough to get tripped up in revelation as it is, but I'm just bringing that up to say that this happens in other parts of Scripture too, like Revelation, where something happens, and then in another chapter, there's a more detailed explanation of the events. So anyways, uh, verse 4 says, Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord, ca- or the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the, the narrative continues, d- describing how and why God created Eve, and lays out for us the design for marriage and purpose for all humanity. And in that, the, the point is, this is not um, necessarily, you know, or it, it's definitely not a different creation account. It's just specifying on certain parts of the creation account that happened to give a more detailed explanation. And really what the ultimate purpose is, is that bringing man into the earth. Now, I think it's fascinating when it says a misuse to rise from the earth. You, you just have this uh, huge sprinkler system, essentially, <laughs> that's just built in by God yeah. that I wish would work on my ground right now. Uh, but I, I always love that passage in there. Yeah, for sure. And and to be clear, um, the the part that really hangs people up, so like day three when God created dry land is when he created plants, vegetation, trees, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, I didn't spell that out specifically earlier as, as well as I should have. But in this 
further explanation of day six, it appears as though plants come after the creation of man. So it's like out of order, it's a different order. And messed it up because like the key phrase that you were reading there, Derek, um, no shrub of the field, um, no plant of the field. And the reason being is no man to cultivate it um, of the field. So like we're talking about like agriculture, farming stuff. We're not talking about natural things that God has created grows up out of the ground automatically like he did on day three. We're talking about things that are planted, mm-hmm. right, in a field. Um, and we see that because then it says God planted a garden. So And then put man there. And put yep. man there to cultivate it. And, and Yes, exactly. So it just helps us understand that. So, again, to be clear, Genesis 2 is not a second creation account, but rather detailed explanation of the events of day six and the purpose of man. Continuing on, if you want to, I think, understand that Genesis 1, the creation account, is literal, we need to understand some Hebrew a little bit. Because a lot of people debate on day, where it says, you know, day one, day two. is like, is that a literal day, or is that a period of time, or are these figurative days, or, you know, are they, uh, it may be a, mentioned as day, but it could have been millions of years. We don't know. I mean, after all, the Bible says with the Lord, a thousand days is like, or you know, a thousand years, is like a day and a day, like a thousand years. Yep. Right. Um, but th- those kind of cancel each other out by the way. Right. Yeah. A <laughs> uh, thousand days, is like a, or a thousand years, is like a day and a day, like a thousand years. Well, that's canceled out. Yep. But it's just saying that God isn't defined by time, but the word for day and the reason why people like to debate this is the word yom, uh, Y-O-M, that's the Hebrew word, and it's actually used 1,920 times, 21 times to be specific, in the Older Testament. So 1,921 times. It's an unspecified period of time, and that's where people sometimes get, well, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean day. It can mean lots of different things, which is true. It can be translated day. It can be translated time. It can be translated period, year, week, today, yesterday, tomorrow. I mean, yom is just a period of time. The only way that we know how much time is by the context around it. Mm -hmm. Interesting enough, though, the most common way that Yom is translated is day, literally a 24-hour period of time. Now, the translation piece I think is important is that anytime Yom is coupled with the word evening, it always means a regular 24-hour day. Anytime it's coupled or paired with the word for morning, it's always referring, referring to an ordinary day. And anytime Yom is connected to a number, it's referring to a regular 24-hour quantified time. And, that's, and then what I mean by that is I'm talking about in the whole rest of the Older Testament. Anytime you see the Hebrew word Yom paired with one of those three things, it's always a regular day. So when you go back to Genesis 1, it's like verse 5 on the first day of creation. It says, and there was evening and there was morning, day one. So not only do you have one of those indicators that's a regular day, but you have all three indicators. Yeah. And you have that same phraseology every single day of creation. So if you found that anywhere else other than Genesis 1, you would just automatically know it's a normal day. No one debates about it. Like no one debates, was Moses on the mountain for 40 days or was it 4 million days? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no one debates, you know. Um, the, the, the dates or the, the, the days of things anywhere else in the older Testament, but we always want to do it in this Genesis one text because we're trying to fit things like evolution 
mm-hmm. into the scripture. But the, if you just take the translation of the word itself and the indicators around it, it can only be taken as literally six days of creation. Yeah, I think with that, <clears throat> excuse me, the evening and morning part makes it so clear because we know throughout all of history, evening and morning, that's from one day to the next, or that's that's a clear full day. So for God to all of a sudden have to declare evening and morning, but there'd be millions of years in between that doesn't make sense. And then even I've always thought it interesting when looking at his, you know, resting on the seventh day. So he created everything in these millions of years and then rested for an, another million years. Like what, what is even, what's the point, you know? And so when you, like you said, when you read it the way that it is to start stretching out these periods of time, doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense, no. but I th- but I think you hit on the the truth of it is we have a scientific paradigm that we view the world through because of you know the the modern push belief of evolution, and so Christians will look and say, well, look, evolution is it has to be true because that's what I learned in school, um, even though they've still never been able to make a link between animals and humans and and between species to to other species, but you know all those huge issues aside. Um, Christians will look at that and say, well, but I want to believe the Bible too, so can they both work together? Oh, well, maybe if day doesn't actually mean day, then it can work together. Um, but I, I think when any, whenever we look at anything, we're going to get into this as we continue going, but we need to view the Bible as history, view the Bible as truth, and if our science doesn't align with that, then maybe our science, which is all just the study of figuring out how things have happened, maybe that needs to adjust a little bit. And I think as we go through really what the rest of the Bible says about creation and points back to this, I think it's going to be pretty clear that it's going to be harder and harder to view uh, a worldview that way. And we've talked about evolution in the past too, and all this stuff just goes right in uh, with that. So uh, really, Jackie, we just need to look at what the rest of the Bible says about creation. Right, because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. We have a simple reading of Genesis, which indicates that this is a literal creation. We have the actual language we looked at, indicates it's literal six-day creation week and that this is a literal account of creation. So what does the rest of the Bible say about it? So Colossians 1, and and these next verses are going to be from all over the Bible, trying to prove the point that it's consistent. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So that, that him being God. So God created everything, heaven and earth, very clear from it's the Colossians account. Yep. It was very intentional, which again points us back to, to, to Genesis 1. And Isaiah 42, verse 5, Thus says the Lord, the Lord who, cre- or, excuse me, thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So Isaiah, the prophet, had the understanding that God literally created things the way that he said he did. Then the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 10, verse 12 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. We get some of that same terminology there between the prophets, again, with the understanding that God, in fact, did create the heavens and the earth like he said he did. Yeah, and continuing with that narrative of God creating, the scripture even becomes more specific elsewhere, explaining how he created. Hebrews 11 Verse 3, it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. But the point being there, the emphasis part where, where I put emphasis, by the word of God, God spoke it into existence is what it's saying. 
And that's exactly what Genesis 1 says. Yep. Um, in Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9, the psalmist reiterates the same thing. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Verse 9, by the breath of his mouth, all their host were made. It says he spoke and it was done. So the psalmist even is saying, God created by speaking things into existence. And that's exactly what we see explained in Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, and it happened. God spoke, and it happened. And that's exactly the commentary we get from both the Newer Testament in Hebrews 11 and the Older Testament, Psalm 33, saying that's how God created. Yeah, and even Second Peter 3, 3 through 5 is an interesting passage. Mm-hmm, it says, sure know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So now Peter, referencing back to a literal creation account to refute the mockers who will come with their mocking, which again, when talking about a lot of modern science, they mock. That's literally what they do. Is they yes. mean, how could you? How could you believe in the a Bible? That's that's yeah. that's doesn't make any sense with our science, and they will mock it, and you almost feel like if you believe it that you don't believe in science or that you're um, you're stupid or that you're just, yeah, following some crazy belief. But th- like that's what Peter said was going to happen. But the truth still remains that the Genesis account is, in fact, literal. Um, and we just have to be prepared that people are going to mock that. Yeah, I mean, Peter, David, the writer of Hebrews, all saw it literal. And I love what you re- read there in verse 5 where it says, by the word of God. So Peter's, again, pointing back to it being spoken into existence. And then the last part we missed, but formed out of water and by water. You see that in day two where he separated the water from the waters, right? The land came out of the waters. Again, this is just Peter giving commentary, pointing back to Genesis 1. Mm -hmm. Very clearly, if you read Genesis 1, you see it right here in 2 Peter 3, 5. Then go to Exodus. And you got the Ten Commandments. I mean, I I like these ones a lot at this point. In Exodus 20, like no one's debating the Ten Commandments. Like there's no, like there are Christians in Christian circles even that will debate whether Genesis 1 is literal or figurative. Yep. No one's debating whether or not God really gave the Ten Commandments. I mean, did God really give these? Are these figurative? Or, I mean, is he just saying, you know, we shouldn't kill people figuratively? Or is it like, you know what I'm saying? Like no one does this, right? So we look at the Ten Commandments and you go to, um, the, uh, Fourth Commandment, which is the Sabbath day. In Exodus 20, verse 11, when God is explaining the Sabbath commandment, he says, God, being quoted by Moses, this is God speaking, and all the scriptures God speaking, by the way. It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's pretty clear. God ought to know how long it took him. Yep. <laughs> and so he said he did it in six days, and he made everything. So some people like to debate, well, there were, there's this gap theory idea. where like Genesis chapter 1, God created things, but it was void. It was darkness. Because this is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And they say, well, that first part there is where we get like all the old earth theories, right? Mm -hmm. And how the rest is just figurative because God created everything then. But Genesis 20, 11 very clearly says, and it's spelled out. I love how it's spelled out. 
For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So the them being everything that's in the heavens and everything in the earth did it all in six days. And then we see this reiterated in, in Exodus 31. So we're talking 11 chapters later um, toward the end of the book of Exodus. And God is saying that this is a sign for them. He says, the sons of Israel, verse 16, Exodus 31. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth. But on the seventh day, he ceased from his labor and was refreshed. So best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And it says that God did it in six days in the book of Exodus, two places. Which just confirms again Genesis. So yeah, one. if if you, you know, the point you're making too is if you believe in a figurative or old Earth theory with Genesis, then you're gonna have a lot of trouble explaining Exodus 20 and Exodus 31, because if if that's they must how be it wrong, worked, yeah, right? if that's how it worked, it would have had to be written differently. This is as clear as it as it comes in those days being days, because that's that would have been the context. Yeah. He is speaking to people here, yeah. so like. You wouldn't say days if, when speaking to a crowd of people, you just meant an ambiguous amount of time that was, you know, millions of years. So that I think is those are some of the, uh, to me, some of the best verses from to other parts it, of the Bible yeah. to affirm that. So I, yeah, I, I love that you brought those up. Now, there's more. The genealogies in Scripture also confirm a literal creation. I know genealogies are some that sometimes we skip through. Um, sometimes, right? No. Yeah, some, all the time, right? I, I preached a sermon on Matthew 1 uh, one time and got everyone excited preaching um, the just about a genealogy, but, but it turned out okay. Uh, so just to, to run through some of them here, Jude one fourteen points back to uh, the, the beginning where it says, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. But uh, the point being in there, Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam. Now, if you go look in Genesis 5, when it's talking about, which I'll bring up here in a second, when it's talking about the generations of people, the point of genealogies is, I mean, one one of the main points is just historical record to see where people came from. It proves the, the existence mm-hmm. of, of these people. And so we see even in Jude, that points all the way back to that. And in Genesis 5, you see that Enoch is in the seventh generation from Adam. So yep. those two things written at very different times point back to that same truth. So it just means Jude believed it was yep. it was literal, it was true. Yeah, and so then Genesis 5, we get genealogy from Adam all the way to Noah, up, up until the flood. So you see all their descendants and, and, and where they came through and how old they were and mm-hmm. the crazy amounts of ages they lived to, you know, at that point. And then you see it ending with Shem. And then... You know, fast forward through the flood, Tower of Babel, and all that. Now we're to Genesis 11, and you see from Shem, or, or really Noah's lineage, all the way to Abram, and who we know as Abraham. Mm-hmm. And really, it's through that that we even know the existence of Abraham and where he came from. Otherwise, we don't have that, then we wouldn't know that Abraham is even a real person. And, and further on, like if this account of Genesis, like if Adam and Eve, because the other thing with it being figurative, the, the belief is that Adam and Eve were just uh, representations of man. humanity, right? Yeah, they humanity. Real people. They weren't real people. Well, if that's true, then neither was anybody in the in this genealogy because it points back to one man, Adam, being the start of it, and we know uh, obviously big ramifications with Noah, but then especially with Abraham and the the Israelite people coming from him, 
and really the rest of Genesis and really the whole Bible coming out of yeah. Abraham's descendants. If if Adam is figurative, then so is Abraham, which makes the rest of the genealogies not make any sense. It, or, it can't. Or, or if Abraham is not figurative, and we do believe him literal, and Adam is figurative, what it means is, is that there are parts of Abraham's story that we can't trust to be true. Yep. And if we can't trust parts of his story in the Bible to be true, how can we trust any of it to be true? Yep. Exactly. And then you got 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through First 4. Chronicles. Or, I'm sorry. I said Corinthians. My bad. Chronicles. Thank you. Uh, 1, verses 1 through 4, and then um, going forward, really going through the chapter. But it's, it starts with the genealogy and starts with Adam and then Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, um, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it goes pretty much a long list all the way to David and beyond. We know David is a pretty relevant character throughout the Bible and in the lineage of Jesus. That's right. So you have all of that where, again, it is a very intentional, literal uh, genealogy for us to be able to look back to, and it gives more validity to the the history of, you know, well, Jesus's lineage and David's lineage and all the way back to this man, Adam, that based on a very literal genealogy he could not be a figurative character otherwise like you just said then we can't trust the rest of it that's right speaking of the lineage of, of jesus you, you mentioned the one in matthew that you preached on um and that traces all the way back to uh, abraham but luke goes all the way back to adam and his lineage of christ um, and so what he's doing is he's showing that jesus is both the son of god and the son of man he's fully god fully man and what luke does in luke chapter 3 goes all the way back to Adam. So he starts with where Jesus is, uh, Joseph and, and, and Mary, and then he goes all the way back, verses 37 through 38, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, by the way, read about him in Jude, uh, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So then you say, well, if Adam wasn't a real person or the Genesis account isn't literal, then Adam couldn't be real either. It's figurative. But it, the very next phrase right after that, the son of God. So if you don't trust the part where it says the son of Adam, why would you trust the part where it says the son of God? Mm -hmm. Yep. And this one pointing all the way back to Jesus, which pokes holes in who Jesus would be, which means the savior of the world we couldn't trust is actually that right. Son of God. And that would be very problematic, which also makes you wonder some of the, the folks who push some of these beliefs, especially when it comes to evolution and science, you may wonder if some of them, that might be the ultimate goal is to try to prove that Jesus isn't the son of God. Because if we talked about it before, if you can rip apart Genesis or turn the, the first few chapters of Genesis into, uh, you know, mythical literature and stuff like that, then the rest of it falls apart. Exactly. So just a few other two, a few other key dro- doctrines that really only make sense with the literal Genesis one creation account uh, first, we have like the origin of man in Acts seventeen twenty six, and it says, "And he made from one man every nation of mankind <laughs> to live man. in all the first, uh, yeah, on, on the face of the earth." So from one man it came, not and that man, as we've established, is Adam. Then you know, in First Corinthians fifteen forty five and forty seven, if Jesus was real, like we just talked about, we have to believe that Adam is real. Where it says, "The first man Adam became a living being; the last Adam became a life giving spirit." The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Mm -hmm. So contrasting their Adam and Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's essential. Uh, Not only that, but uh, the literal creation account helps us understand sin, pain, suffering, death. 
um, because Genesis 3 spells that out. And it's building upon what we read about in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, um, where we have the creation account, further explanation of the creation account in day 6, and then Genesis 3, we have them disobeying God, sin entering into the world. If we don't have a literal creation account, then we have suffering and death and all these things coming forth in God's creation. So God would be the author of those things. But God did not, um, God is not responsible for those evils. We see that man is the one who sinned and brought these things to the world by disobeying God. Death, death is a result of sin, Romans 6, 23. Mm-hmm. And we see all that, that coming forth in Genesis 3, but Genesis 3 doesn't make sense if Genesis 1 isn't right or if it isn't true, it isn't literal. And if Genesis 1 through 3 is not literal and true and happened exactly the way that God said it did, then we have really no good explanation whatsoever for why do bad things happen or where did sin come from or how did evil enter the world. Yep. So if we don't take that literally, we have a huge problem when it comes to these things. Yeah, and then talking salvation, Romans 5, 12 through 15 says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, which is important because, again, that shows mm-hmm. us that sin is the cause of death, not just right. otherwise for millions through, of years you would have no, no death. And it came through one man. Yep. So, and then, and then on it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Mm-hmm. So again, this focus on that one man it has to be literal because our salvation and what Jesus did, dying because we have a sin nature from Adam, hinges on it. If not, yeah. then what is Jesus' the salvation? Because sin didn't come from Adam. Yeah, what's he saving way? us from? Yep. Or why did he even have to come? Um, th- then we also have like the doctrine of marriage uh, comes from the, the creation account. We see, and you know, we talked about the, the further explanation that we see in Genesis 2 of the creation account and what happened on day six. Well, Jesus points to that in Matthew, does the same thing in Mark, but in Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting in verse three, it says, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and he said to them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, and he's quoting here, uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, what's he quoting? Well, he's quoting Genesis 2, mm-hmm. which is a further explanation of day 6 in chapter 1. And he says, they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. Jesus is pointing to the creation account to say this is God's view of marriage. And if Jesus viewed Genesis as a literal account, you know, then we should too. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, we have spiritual leadership, even the organization and family, like first Timothy chapter two, 13, Adam was formed first then Eve. And he explains that the, the spiritual leadership or responsibility piece, and he's point, and Paul's pointing back uh, to Genesis. And we see the same thing, like in roles for marriage in Ephesians chapter five, Paul points back to Genesis. So Genesis being literal is so important to essential doctrines and, and, and ways that we function today in the church. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So. Through the reading of the creation account in Genesis 1, as well as scriptures from the rest of the Bible, it becomes very clear that the beginning of the universe and God's creation is all a literal account of how things happened. Genesis 1 and 2 are not two separate creation accounts, but one account with a deeper focus on the creation of mankind in the second chapter. Believing that the creation account is figurative, 
would create all sorts of theological problems throughout the rest of Scripture, such as the ancestry of Jesus, the origin of sin nature, the foundation of marriage, and ultimately even the origin of man. Even Jesus referenced the creation account and meant it in a very literal way. So if we doubt the literal nature of this account, then we would, in turn, doubt the validity Mm -hmm. of the words of Jesus. As science has progressed and humans discover more evidence of God's wonder, it is important to remember that science is not a tool to tell what happened in the past, but rather man's attempt to explain what happened. Most modern secular scientists will look at the Bible and say it's impossible because it doesn't align with an atheistic worldview, but we have historical written accounts of the miracles of God in the Bible, and it is important to remember that we need to hold the Bible as inerrant. If mainstream scientific theory of the origin of the universe holds a different belief than God's word, we must hold to the truth of God's word and start looking at science through the lens of the Bible and see that the Bible and true science actually do coincide because God created science. The creation account is the backbone for the rest of scripture. If it is figurative, then the rest of the Bible is not trustworthy. So let's trust what the scriptures say from beginning to end and view science through the lens of scripture as well. Jackie, you got any final comments? Yeah, just just to kind of pound home that last little bit that you were saying and maybe word it in a way that makes it very clear. If we cannot trust what God said he did in Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account, then we cannot trust what God said he did, say, in the Gospels with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have to be consistent and we look at Scripture. Do we trust what God says? Or do we not? Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what it all comes down to. Do we trust the word of God? So that concludes today's show. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your support. God bless, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the 1717 Podcast. If you have any questions, please connect with us on Twitter or email us at 1717pod at gmail.com.